Hello, and welcome to the Canine Conversations podcast, where we're positively obsessed with behavior. Join certified dog trainers as we discuss case studies, explore training concepts, and interview experts in the field of behavior. Today's episode includes myself, Ursa Acri, a co-owner of Canis Major Dog Training in Denver, Colorado. And Kayla Fratt um, of Journey Dog Training in Missoula, Montana. And Marissa Martino of Pause and Reward in Boulder, Colorado. All right, so we're going to do something a little bit different today, and uh, we're all kind of excited about it. We think it's going to be pretty fun. Um, this episode is what five things would you teach a dog if you could only teach five things? So we're going to start with five, and then we're going to go down the list until we get to number one. So our number one thing is what we would teach a dog if we only had one thing to teach them. So we yep. just want to give our number five, explain why, then we're going to give our number four, explain why, and then go on up the list until we're left with only one behavior that we're allowed to teach and we have to justify why i think follow-up should be we should all foster a dog and, and then do that and, yeah. and see how it goes your words i've made a terrible mistake <laughs> um so essentially it's going to be a list of core skills that we think every dog should have um in order to be a well-behaved dog. And we are going to assume that we're starting with a dog that has been socialized, so um, doesn't have any issues with fear, doesn't have issues interacting with people or other dogs. Um, we're sort of assuming that we're starting with, you know, the sort of perfect ideal of a dog that doesn't have any significant behavior issues other than normal dog stuff. Yeah. So normal dog stuff we would consider things like jumping, chewing, wanting to run around and sniff the environment, um, wanting to interact with other dogs, those sorts of things. So normal dog um, behaviors. And just so you guys know, this is fun for us because we, uh, right now we are not looking at each other's list. So we <laughs> took a moment, figured out our top five on our own, and then we are revealing those top five to each other right now. So this, In this real is going to be a fun conversation. <laughs> I'm also really excited because we are actually all together today and looking at each mm -hmm. other's faces in, yeah. <laughs> in yeah. real life. Instead of a Zoom call. <laughs> yeah. In Ursa's um, beautiful training facility. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. All right. So who would like to go first? Ooh. <laughs> I can go first, I guess. All right. Uh, so I think my number five most important would be a good leave it or drop it, which I usually kind of teach as the same skill. Um, I It's high on my list because it's a safety skill. Um, I don't want a dog eating rat poison or just gross stuff on the street. Um, but it's l not my number one because I think there are other ways that you can essentially get a leave it without actually teaching it as a unique skill. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair. Yeah. Marissa, would you like to go next? Mine is, I almost put leave it as number five. <laughs> um, but my number five out of my list when I rated them, my last one was touch. That's such an easy one to teach. And I, I'm, I'm sort of bummed it's at the end of the list. But out of the other behaviors, I felt like that was the least, the least, um, important behavior because the other ones I think are really, really important from a safety perspective. So, um, I know touch a lot of people use that to refocus the dog or to move the dog in space. So as not to, um, you know, handle, handle the dog inappropriately or something like that. But I, I, I definitely didn't feel out of my list. It was, it was the number one. Okay. So it's number five. Got it. All right. My number five is actually leash skills. 
So mm-hmm. teaching loose leash walking, um, on leash greetings, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> only because, or primarily because it is so much a part of life for a dog in the city, mm-hmm. really a dog in most places. And, um, I think that, uh, when dogs can learn to walk comfortably on leash with their owners, it just makes the relationship better and the, and more pleasant and the dog's not choking themselves and that sort of thing. Um, I put it last on my list because I think that, um, it can be accomplished in other ways. There are other skills on my list that I think can contribute to that. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. Um, so my number four was actually leash skills. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so Moving right along. <laughs> and just adding in one thing, I think part of what I really love about good leash skills is it can really open up a dog's world. So I yeah. used to think that leash skills, you know, nice loose leash walking is arguably not necessary, but I do think dogs that walk nice on leashes get to have better lives. Yeah, absolutely. So I love that. Like, it's, it's becomes a welfare thing. Yeah, then. exactly. Yeah. And I'm starting to believe that pretty firmly. Um, yeah, me too. So, and yeah. I, like I said, I said leash skills because I think that includes, like, how to either greet or not greet other dogs yeah. when you pass them or greet or not greet other people um, as opposed to having a dog that, like, you know, catfishes out at the end of the leash and um, just goes nuts. Totally. So, yeah, all of that, I think agree opens up that dog's world to mm-hmm. be able to access a lot of things so okay so your number four is leash yep. skills marissa how about you what's your number four That's so funny my leash skills didn't even make it on my list <laughs> which is so interesting i mean my number one i <laughs> think is a big leash skill and I, i'll say that so i just think that that's that that's funny but i love your comment kayla about you know it really opens up the dog's world I had leave it as number four. Um, I find that when you teach leave it successfully um, and you help clients, uh, you know, progress at a harder rate and you raise the criteria appropriately, you're not in a position where you're yelling leave it at your dog. Um, We're really just using it as a refocus tool to get the dog to pay attention to you instead of whatever it is. Like I always say, leave it is don't even think about it. It's like we see we see that thing over there. Like check in with me and. Um, and I use that often, but it is definitely lower because um, there are other ways to get that connection and that engagement from your dog without having to wait for them to potentially choose, make the wrong choice and then have to constantly tell them, leave it in order to pay attention to you. So um, that's why it's lower, but it is a skill that I, that I like to use and I use with Sully and we have a great repertoire in that behavior. Okay. Awesome. Um, my number four is name recognition. Ooh. So teaching the dog to basically turn and look at you when you say their name. Yeah. And um, I, it would have been higher up on my list, except that I have another behavior that I like. Or I have a couple other behaviors that I, I think are even more important. Um, but I feel like if a dog will respond and turn and look at you when you say their name, um, that's essentially a leave it, you know, that's essentially an eye contact. That's essentially Mm -hmm. a check-in. Um, that's asking the dog for their attention and focus. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you can get that from them and generalize that to a variety of different contexts, I mean, we know that a word and, you know, a word in the human language means nothing to a dog until we assign it. It's 
meaning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So to me, um, you know, if the owner cannot wear out the dog's name, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Uh, it can become a really powerful tool to control what's going on or, you know, mitigate things that you don't want the dog to do or, um, you know, just keep them safe in a variety of different situations because yeah. it means like, hey, stop what you're doing and please turn and look at me. Yeah. Um, so that's why that's on my list. And again, important. So it's on the top five, but it's, um, you know, sort of on the end of the top five, because I think there are a few other things that are actually even, even better for that kind of yeah. stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. but yeah, I, the challenge is that, and I do it too. The challenge is not yelling your dog's name all the time yeah. <laughs> yeah. or using it as an aversive. So, yeah. and, and again, I do that too. Um, uh, you know, where you, like you use it to interrupt the dog doing something, yeah. zap, you know, like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, and so yesterday, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I get it, yeah. but, um, if we can, you know, try to keep it positive and try to keep it special, mm-hmm. I think it's a really powerful tool for that. So. Totally. All right. So we got our number fours, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. leash walking. What was I'm sorry. Leave it. Leave it. That's right. <laughs> and name recognition. Oh, yeah. Yep. All right. So we're down my, to top three. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my third would be kind of crate or alone time. I don't think it has to be in a crate. Mm. Um, but Con- teaching your dog. Yeah. Confinement yeah. and generally just being separate from you. Mm-hmm. Um, for better or for worse, I think most dogs have to be yeah. alone for eight hours a day, most days of the year. Um, and it's something that we often kind of forget to teach our dogs mm-hmm. how to do, or we just kind of assume that they're going to have to do it and don't really help them through it. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, it, I mean, we, we all deal with quite a bit of separation anxiety and even just dogs that don't necessarily have like full-blown yeah. panic attacks when they're left alone, but they're uncomfortable. It's a good one. And um, I think a lot of it kind of falls back on the owner as much as anything. It's not, I mean, it is a skill for the dog, but also a lot of it is like remembering to stuff your puzzle toys and making departures not a big deal and all this Mm -hmm. stuff. But definitely, um, you know, if nothing else, your dog is probably going to have to be alone. So it's, again, kind of a welfare thing that they're comfortable with it. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, we have a second dog right now. My stepdaughter's dog is staying with us and she is three-year-old shepherd mix. Mm -hmm. And she's actually pretty mellow for shepherd mix, but she does have some mild separation anxiety. And I have totally taken that for granted with Sully. I mean, Sully is just super easy. We've moved a handful of times. I always thank him. Like, thank you for not developing separation anxiety when we moved <laughs> across the country or whatever. And she is nervous. And so I'm having to shift my, how I'm approaching uh-huh. my entrances, my exits and all of that and making sure she has what she needs and recording her in these instances uh-huh. to make sure that like, w- which instance is better or worse or, you know, so mm-hmm. it's, um, it is definitely a behavior shift for the, for the owner, for sure. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. and one thing that I always tell people is even if your dog is an angel at home and never chews anything up and has no separation anxiety and is totally fine and they don't want to use a crate at home, like what if your dog has to stay overnight at the vet? For sure. You know, mm-hmm. they're going to be in a, in a crate-sized kennel most likely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you have to board them, like they should be comfortable in that space. Yeah. So even if they're, that's not the norm at home, you never know when they might have to end up doing that. So. And to piggyback yeah. on what Kayla is saying, I noticed that a lot of our clients, they don't help their dog feel comfortable, separated, whether that's inside or out of sight when the owner is home, because you're like, mm-hmm. why would I do that? You know, right. like, why would I, why would I <laughs> I'm separate here. myself? When I'm, but I, I have found that, um, 
it is a skill that we sometimes need for behavior modification cases mm-hmm. where it's like, let's say we need to remove the dog from when people coming in yep. or yeah. yeah and so, yeah. and then we have, it's almost like we have to work on that, that reaction to strangers, but then we also now have to work on this independence. Piece. Yeah. And yeah. so, so I try to tell people about that. Like if you can incorporate that into your routine, at least like once a week, yeah, that would be mm-hmm. really helpful. Yeah. I do a lot of that too. We call it safe zone. Like, Oh, I love that. Yeah. yeah. Just teaching that dog to go into a room by themselves and chill and like work on a Kong and have mm-hmm. some music playing and whatever. And yeah. 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 We've been having to do a bunch of that with the, the place that we're staying here in uh, Denver. Um, we're staying with two dogs, both of whom are a little bit dog selective, dog reactive to put a label on it. Mm -hmm. Um, so we've just been kind of keeping everyone separate and moving Mm -hmm. through the house that way. Um, so Barley's had to be behind a baby gate wall, you know, most of the half of the day separated from me while I take turns with which, which group of dogs are out. Um, and even a month ago, that was really hard for him. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's been getting a lot better at that. And Barley had some tendencies towards some, some separation related issues. Um, Yeah. Yeah. He's been really awesome, considering what we've put him through. But um, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's definitely something that he uh, he has a tendency towards. For so. sure. Okay, Marissa, what's your number three? My number three is weight. So I am sort of a a little bit bizarre in that I don't really focus a ton on stay. Like when I, the difference for me in terms of vocabulary for weight and stay is weight. I heard this from, I stole this from another trainer forever ago is that like weight is I'm at a red light and when it turns green, we're going to go. So it's pretty temporary. Whereas stay is like, just, just hang out. The car is parked. Right. Um, and I love that analogy and I don't really, I don't put Sully in situations a lot where I really need to stay so much. And so I love weight and I use it um, you know, as just a moment for him to connect with me before he, you know, hops in the car, hops out of the car. I mean, crosses the street. Like, um, I could ask him to wait when he's off leash. So he stops. Um, and so I guess that it was higher on the list because it's safety and it's just something that I naturally use often, um, whether he's on the leash, off the leash, so on and so forth. So, I really love that behavior. Um, and everybody, a lot of our clients are like, Ooh, I want to teach my dog how to wait at the food bowl. And it's like this really good gateway behavior to then build impulse control or check in with, with the owner in other contexts. Like, because the dogs learn it, wait at the food bowl pretty quickly. And then you're like, let's generalize this to actual, you know, real life scenarios. So I really like wait. I love it when I hear a client say like, well, my dog doesn't really listen to this, that, and the other, but they're really good at wait for the food bowl. (laughs) Because that shows me that the client actually understands like timing and consistency and, you know, the concepts needed to train a behavior. And so I always tell them like, take that because usually the way they teach it is like, I refuse to put the food bowl down until you are seated. Yeah. There's clear. So I always say, take that consistency Uh and those boundaries and carry that into the other things that you're teaching. Like be patient, like be patient and persistent. And usually when I explain like the mechanics of how that works and how they can, you know, do that, put that in other scenarios, they're like, Oh, I love that. Okay. That's such a great idea. Yeah. yeah. Well, because I'm like, Oh, you already know oh, how to you train a dog. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but I have so many owners that are like, Oh, I have no idea how to do X, Y, Z, but, but my dog has a rock solid food bowl. Weight. Yeah. I know. It's like, That's That's awesome. Awesome. <laughs> because they won't compromise. It's they're, they're consistent. So yeah. Cool. That's a good one. Um, so my number three is auto check-in. So this could be on leash. This could be off leash. Um, but it's definitely a skill that I insist dogs have for off leash training. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And it's essentially teaching the dog to um, come back in and check in with you without being asked. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, like I said, I think it's essential to an off-leash dog because that way yeah. they are kind of always tracking you in their mind. Like, where's where's my person? So that they can come back in and check in. I also like that it teaches dogs that just because they come back to you, the fun's not over, Mm -hmm. Um, which is something I hear a lot from clients. Like, well, I can't get my dog to come to me at the dog park because she knows that the leash is going to go on and we're going to leave. And if you teach your dog like, hey, just come and check in and I'm going to feed you some food and then you get to go back and have fun. Mm -hmm. You have a dog who's magnetized to you. Mm -hmm. Um, Or even, like I said, on a leash, like, oh, you checked in with me, have some food and we're going to keep walking. Um, Again, it just creates that like your dog being attentive to you sort of behavior um, where you're not always, your dog isn't like, well, they'll just let me know if they need something. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I'm going to blow them off until I'm asked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I love it for just creating an overall well-behaved and attentive dog, which I think is really what most people want. Yeah. You know? Um, so that's my number three is auto check-ins um, on or off leash. All right. So we're down to, down to brass tacks here. Number two. <laughs> yeah, number two. <laughs> it's funny. So if, what? Uh, I was going to say, it's funny because when we were writing these down, I said I felt really confident about my two. I and know. now there's been a couple that you guys have said where I'm like, oh, God, they weren't even, I don't even know if they would have made it into my top I ten, know. but they totally should be there. Um, well, and you all so far both had something on your list that I don't have a yeah, mine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I definitely didn't have auto check-ins or name recognition anywhere. Yeah, like, name recognition, I did, yeah, but like that, I mean, that's, that is foundation, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. Ursa, right. and then you huh? look at me, and then I'm like, hey, would you mind coming over here to help me? It's like, right. it's just, the, it's the intro to, like, get us connected so that yeah. I can give you more information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Which is exactly. why I love the name recognition. And I think yeah. one of yours, too. Maybe, what was... We'll, we'll come back to it. One of yours, okay. too. I was just like, I didn't even think of that one. Um, <laughs> so we're down to the two things that we would teach a dog yeah. if yeah. we only had two things to teach a dog. So this is for real. Yep. All right. So, so my, Kayla, number two. Uh, my number two would be relax on a mat. I knew you nice. were. I knew <laughs> I was going to be high up there. I knew it. <laughs> Freaking obsessed with relax on my mat. Um, and this is one of the two that I tell when I'm working with like separation anxiety, reactivity, aggression, pet dogs, mm-hmm. anything yeah. really. It feels like it's always coming in and I feel like I'm always using it. Like I'm teaching... Um, you know, patio behaviors, mm-hmm. anything at all, I'm putting it in there. Um, and I find it really useful to have, uh, this might be a, a, a hint or a spoiler for my number one. I like, <laughs> if I could only have two behaviors, one would be to send the dog away from me somehow, and mm-hmm. one would be to bring the dog to me somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and this would be one to send the dog away or keep the dog away. Um, and I'm kind of realizing that the crate a long time and Matt, like I probably could have cut one or two. And, uh, <laughs> maybe I wasted a, a spot. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we'll we'll link to Karen Overall's relaxation yeah. protocol in the show notes, which is how I pretty much always teach it. It's kind of a lengthy process. Yeah. Um, it's like a 15 day thing, but I've found that once you can get through that, um, and then especially if you start bringing your mat elsewhere. Um, it pretty much proofs the whole behavior for you Mm -hmm. um, in a really nice way. So it looks like a lot, but I don't really usually have to do much other than that to get it to a really lovely behavior. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, I knew that. I actually thought that was going to be her number one. (laughs) She loves the mat. I'm bummed the mat didn't make it on my list. And I'm like literally sitting next to Barley's mat. I'm 
Hubachi is not on, by the way. So oh. uh, he was laying really nicely on the bed over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. He's I've trying. got Cheerios, and there are uh, there's like, uh, there's agility value. equipment in the next room, so my Cheerios are not keeping him away. Yeah. From the senses door. that there are tennis balls. Yeah, they're yeah. somewhere in the building. Um, my number two is come. So I hike a ton. So from a selfish perspective, like I need Sully to pay attention to me, um, to, and, and comes encompasses a lot of things, right? It's like the emergency recall, then just like your casual recall, then your auto check-ins. It's just like the, basically the connection when you're off leash Mm -hmm. And we are out in nature, and I am really trying to convince you that I'm way cooler than everything else. <laughs> and it's so funny. We went camping this, this weekend, and my younger stepdaughter's boyfriend was like, Sally's pretty independent. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's such a lovely little observation from a 14-year-old. <laughs> right. And I was like, yeah, he is. So I have to work really hard. I've worked overtime to make me important because um, he's got that, Pyre- uh, you know, Pyrenees in him as well. So, um I think that this is just such a great behavior because this behavior, you know, to sort of copy Kayla is that it does expand the dog's ability to do off leash hikes mm-hmm. or, you know, be outside and, and get, and, you know, be able to have the leash off and, you know, be a dog, yeah. um, in nature. So I, I really love this behavior. Awesome. Totally. Yeah. Um, my number two is mat work. <laughs> Ooh, we have a match. The first time. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Um, so I put stationing or mat work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of like you said, I, I think it's important to have a behavior that is literally just, I need you to just lay here and hang out. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the reason I like the mat, like you said, is because it's portable and it becomes this portable visual cue for like, even though the context is different, this little mat is telling you, I still want that mm-hmm. same behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, again, you know, kind of, we've said this about a couple of behaviors, but I do think that kind of opens up the dog's world yeah. as well, yeah. because it means the dog can be with you when you're eating dinner. The dog can be with you mm-hmm. when guests come over. The dog can be with you out at the coffee shop, at the brewery, at the whatever. Um, in addition to like, if you need to take your dog and wait in the waiting room at the vet's office, you yeah. can roll out your mat and the dog lays down. Um, I just think it's like a supremely versatile behavior because a lot of the day we just want our dogs to kind of chill and not pester us for things. Um, And it's, that's that behavior. Um, So yeah, if we have something that can cue to them, like I would like for you to lay down and not bother me right now or lay down and stay here. Mm -hmm. um, It's very, very useful. And I, um, while I love the mat itself for a visual cue, Mm -hmm. my ultimate goal is to make the cue as um, subtle as possible. So I'll even like my oldest dog, Ruckus, um, would lay on a handkerchief yeah. mm-hmm. so I could just like tuck it. Or if I had a napkin yeah. at a restaurant, I could just put the napkin down and he would kind of lay on top of it. Like yeah. eventually the mat became irrelevant and his, his default behavior when nothing was going on was just lay down yeah. and, and chill. And so that to me is the end goal that you right. don't necessarily have to have the mat. You have a dog that just goes, Oh, nothing's going on. I'm going to, I'm going to plop myself plop down and just wait. Um, which I really like. So, 
Um, and I consider that kind of stationing, like just, it's a little, stationing is a little bit more specific, like go to your spot and stay there. Um, but like you said, something to tell the dog to just like lay down and hang out there or in Mm -hmm. your case, kind of like go away from me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, like with the aggression cases, I'll often teach mat work as a way for them to like get reintroduced to being in the same space together. Mm -hmm. You can separate them by telling them each to go away. Yeah. Um, and I like to proof the mat work with, I generally will use like the overall relaxation protocol Mm -hmm. style of like proofing distance, proofing distractions, proofing duration. Um, So, I mean, it is essentially a stay. It's just more of like, instead of cueing the dog to do it necessarily with like a verbal cue, you sort of teach them to do it as a default when nothing else is going on. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think also not so much in a lot of the circles we're in, but a lot of people kind of think of a stay as like in that sphinx down, the dog is right. out of tension. Right. And this is much more of like a relaxed down. Like if my dog yeah. falls asleep during mat work, totally that fine. is a success. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I was going to jump in. The two times that I've used mat work that have been just kind of like, I'm like rubbing my hands together and being like, oh, this is so cool, <laughs> is um, at the vet, Tender Touch Animal Hospital, um, which is where we go in Denver, has a... Uh, we go there too. Yeah, they're lovely. <laughs> Shout out to Tender Touch. Um, <laughs> their scale is like sunken into the ground and it's got this textured green matting on it mm. um, to make it super comfortable for the dogs Smart. to get on. It's not slippery. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, I've told Barley to go get on his mat before and he'll put himself on the scale. Nice. Um, oh, which is always really so nice. And then he just plops down and then we can get a really nice accurate weight on him. And then when I was flying with him back from Panama to the U.S., um, I used the mat everywhere we went in the airport um, yeah. and that was I just poured out like his day's worth of food and used that exclusively for mat training as we were in the airport and it was just like it was a lifesaver to have something like that and have a dog who was good at it in like an airport situation which is just like it was it was kind of next level like mm-hmm. distractions and yeah. stuff even yeah. for a dog who's been doing a lot of travel one thing I like to oh, no, I was just going to say that like the, the mat is really nice because it's a contextual cue that I mean, I'm I'm making this up, but like it is also it it cues the dog like th- this is familiar, like in an environment right. that is not familiar, exactly, like yeah. the airport, um you know this particular yeah thing it and you that can lie down yeah. and like helps them generalize. Yeah. I was going to say one thing I like you mentioned a distinction between like stay in that work. And I always tell owners that um, stay is, well, the way it's often taught, and obviously I know we don't necessarily use this approach, but a lot of the time the way stay is taught is, well, if you get up, something unpleasant might happen, mm-hmm. or if you get up, you blew it. Like, mm-hmm. And it's, it's a little more compulsory than, hey, here's an opportunity for you to just lay down and chill. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if I cue the dog to lay down and stay, that doesn't mean that they're relaxed because they haven't chosen to do that on their own. But if I roll, if I teach them, and I teach mat work with classical conditioning in the beginning where, like, the mat comes down, the food comes out. As long as you're on the mat, the food's happening. You leave the mat, the food stops. And so it magnetizes them to the mat. And um, dogs tend to relax themselves over time. They tend to go like, oh, man, this is a really chill place to be. I'm going to stay. Like, I'm going to stick around here as opposed to, like, I'm telling you to stay there. I want you to lay down and stay. That doesn't mean that they're relaxed. But if we're helping them learn to do it on their own and choose to settle in and choose to stay there, then we get that true relaxation where it's like, man, I just love being here. Like, 
I'm just going to choose to do it on my own. So I like to make that distinction with owners because a lot of the time they'll be like, oh, this is a downstay. But that's not really how I approach it. Yeah. Again, I don't do it as a cued behavior. It's more like, here's your opportunity to just relax and lay there and get some food and whatever. Um, And of course, most dogs are going to choose that most of the time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, all right. Here number it is. one. Number one. <laughs> I hope we all chose wisely. <laughs> yeah, right. Because <laughs> we're going to have to eat our words later with foster dogs. Yes. <laughs> I know. Um, I made a noise. We're all getting Belgian Malinois. <laughs> oh, my God. If we have the one thing. I quit. Yeah. <laughs> Request denied. Um, I, I think my number one is a hand target. Ooh, that was my number five. I know. Yeah. How funny um, is that? And that is because I feel like I can use a hand target as a leave it. I can redirect. I can use it as a come when called. I can use it as a way to get loose leash walking. I can use it as a way to get up and into the car. I can use it to get out of the car. I can use it to get off furniture. I can use it to interrupt inappropriate social behavior. (laughs) Honestly, I... What can't you use it for? (laughs) Sending the dog away from me. Yeah. yeah. But if I had taught it with the target stick, um, I still actually could. And one could argue that mat training is also kind of target training just with their whole body. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I said hand target. So, (laughs) yeah. You're sticking with your guns. Yeah. No, I, I actually think I could have a decent dog that just hand targeted Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. i think i think i could get pretty far with it i'm feeling feeling confident (laughs) (laughs) i i love that you know i was just with a trainer the other day we were with our client together and she was doing hand targeting with the dog and i was like gosh i don't utilize that behavior enough i don't think oh yeah which is why it's number five yeah can i I, really don't can i put in a spoiler my number one was also hand targeting (laughs) (laughs) i'm i'm left out I just figure there's no reason to rehash it. For sure. (laughs) Hop on in. My number one was also hand targeting for the exact same reason. I think it is, I think it is the most versatile behavior. Like you said, it substitutes for a recall. It substitutes for moving the dog around. It gets their attention towards you or away from something else. Um, I also use it, um, to teach dogs to station for handling. So me, if they sustain the contact mm, and we do the mm-hmm. handling, like a la the bucket game. Um, yeah. I don't, I agree. I think it, I think a dog just taught to target and we could generalize it to say target. So you could use right. like a yogurt lid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were just talking about this. And for then agility. that way you could like throw the target down on the floor or you could stick it to the wall or you could put it in the, you know, like yeah. it doesn't necessarily have to be a hand target. It's right. just, you know, most of us have hands and they're right there and they're attached <laughs> to us. So it's easy to do a hand target. The other thing I love hand targeting for is teaching dogs not to jump to greet. Yes. yes. Because most yes. people, when they greet a dog, they reach out their hand. Mm-hmm. And so if the dog is um, conditioned to target, then it becomes an, a built-in cue for touch the hand and get a treat instead of jump on the person. Um, so I love it for that uh, as as opposed to the old, like, turn away and take your attention. Like we I still say ignore the right, dog if they yeah. jump, but like that's not enough. They have to be taught what to, yeah, do. what to do. And I think hand targeting is a great way to build that in. Um, so yeah, I hundred yeah. percent agree. Most versatile behavior in my world. Yeah. <laughs> I love the fact that you guys saw it as like a big umbrella category that captured all these other behaviors in it. And yes. I was like, Ooh, that's really smart. 
That's um, okay. We're, so you I know, we're all coming from really different perspectives yeah, here, too. Yeah, so. I love that. <laughs> Mine was... I really want to... I'm so excited to hear your <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, mine is rollover. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> rollover. That's the one. <laughs> Need to do it. <laughs> And shake. Sorry. Um, no, mine is look at that. So okay. I think I come because I think I think that behavior is really important to me. And when I say look at that, I'm talking about clicking and treating the dog for looking at something and then, you know, progressing to that, that whatever that something is cues the dog to check back in. So it's kind of like, a, you know, it's a combination of, of, hey, that thing is cool. Thanks so much for investigating it. Right. And then it's also, let's move on, let's move on <laughs> and actually um, check in with me next time. And so it, it's kind of a combination of a, of a check-in as well. I think I put that as number one because it felt really important that we sometimes take for granted that dogs are looking at things often and they, and even though they don't have a negative association to something now, doesn't mean that they might not develop a negative association later. And I, and I think playing, look at that, like you're just going to get the classical conditioning benefit of that game. You're also going to get like, you're You're also building check-ins. Yeah. You're you're building check-ins. It helps with loose leash walking. Um, I think it could, could also contribute to your come training. And so I just sort of, I just love that one from an outdoor leash walking check-in perspective and especially just to prevent again, like not taking for granted that they don't, that they're, they're not reacting to it now, but they could develop, you know, a a poor reaction to it later. Um, so that's why I had that as number one. Going back to, I think, was it our first episode, the preventing reactivity episode? Yeah. Mm. We talked a bunch about this. I mean, I talk about how I do it all the time. I didn't even think of that as like, I feel like I do it so automatically yeah. um, mm-hmm. that I didn't even like think of it as a thing that I do all mm-hmm. the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think it's helpful to remember that like the things that we're desensitized to in our environment are not necessarily, they might still be worrisome or interesting or whatever for our dogs. Totally. And so that kind of helps them, you know, understand like the world is an okay place to be in. Like, yeah, yeah don't need to worry about everything, you yeah. know? And I, um, Kayla posted, I think it was you, Journey Dog Training posted that awesome image of like all these little things that can scare dogs. And we'll link to that in the show notes because that was such a great image. Yeah. I Um, wish I could remember the artist's name so we could give him a shout out. Yeah. Well, we will totally uh, put it in the show notes. But it was so great because what we think is okay, you know, the dog could could be be having a totally different emotional experience. And Mm so I think, look, at that could really be such a proactive behavior for owners to prevent mm-hmm. behavior from deteriorating yeah. and, and from, for animals to feel safe and comfortable in their environment. Absolutely. Yeah. Can I throw two wrenches in before we wrap up? Yeah. Still got a little well, bit of time. Yeah. And I have a, a question. After okay. That you go first. So, oh, okay. So my question was going to be, Oh, do we have any regrets? <laughs> so now that we know what, e- what everybody else has said, mm. is there anything you would change or add to or take off of your list, replace on your list? I would remove, leave it. Oh yeah. I think I wasted a spot there. I think I would have like, I would have, instead of doing a behavior of like, don't do that. I should have put a behavior. Well, should or shouldn't. 
I don't, I'm not, not going to do it. I, I could have put a behavior on there that was more teaching the dog what to do instead of, instead. Well, I mean, that is about teaching them to check in, but, yeah. but like mat training or leash skills, like I feel like that's more, that could be more functional. I don't okay. know. That was my, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah. I think I would put auto check-ins or check-ins, which I feel like could be kind of wrapped into the the look at that uh-huh. and the name recognition. Yeah. I don't quite know how to put, but I feel like those three things actually kind of fall into a similar category. Yeah, I know. When and I, I don't think I had that category covered. I yeah. don't think I had like a, a sort of like, there's a thing, check in with me, whether that's automatic or look cued. at that or yeah. name recognition. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't think I had that in my repertoire and I think that would actually uh, be a deficit in yeah. a potential dog, especially... I mean, I have a border collie, so like my check-ins are so easy to build. Yeah. Just you know, breed tendencies. Yeah. He is very much something <laughs> to like literally just stare at me. Stare yeah. at your face. Um, and your I, eyes are two big tennis balls. That helps. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think especially if uh, my foster dog that I have to do this with um, is not a border collie um, or a dog that doesn't offer that quite so easily, I think I would appreciate that a lot more. Um, which might for be sure. why it came up for you guys. Yeah, for me. sure. Oh um, yeah, because okay. I yeah, like I don't even think about that because it's something I get so easily with the dog that yeah. I live with. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I would add confinement training because mm-hmm. I think now it could. I feel like that can sometimes be rolled into the mat work mm-hmm. because especially like if you're using the overall protocol, it involves like eventually leaving the room while yeah. your dog relaxes on the mat mm-hmm. and coming back and that sort of thing. So it could potentially be rolled in, but um, I do think that's really important. I'm not sure what I would replace. I don't know. I'm not sure what I were to replace with that. Um, but I think I would probably add in confinement training because I do feel like that's the one sort of big piece of everybody's life. Like yeah. you have to leave your dog it alone. Is a, it's a life skill. That none right. of the things that I talked about really cover solidly. So yeah. I think that would be my one change. Yeah, mat training is a great start yeah. to confinement, but it's, yeah, not, it's not the whole thing. It's not the whole thing. It's yeah. a great start. It's usually where I start at least. Yeah, yeah. Agree. Uh, Interesting. Okay. So what were you going <laughs> to... I wanted to do two lightning rounds. Oh boy. One of your favorite oh, wow. trick. Because um, Marissa said roll over. Okay. <laughs> so your favorite trick. Um, just like your favorite like vanity behavior maybe. Got it. Um, and then your least favorite thing or something that you feel like other people teach that you're just like, I don't, I don't Why? really teach. Why? Yeah. Why? <laughs> okay. Oh, I have to think about this. Okay. I think I've got mine. Okay. Okay, go. <laughs> Okay, we can start with tricks, okay? Right? Yes, yes. Start with tricks. So, my favorite trick is called a left about turn. And it's a rally obedience behavior. And this is going to be really hard to visualize, I think, what it is. So, if you start with your dog in heel position on your left, Mm-hmm. You send your dog across you to the right, and you turn the opposite direction, and you guys end up doing an about turn and facing in the opposite direction in the same positions that you were in before. And it looks like a dance move, and it's so cool. <laughs> That's so fun. We're going to have to find a video of that for the show notes. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, I might be able to, to demonstrate it for you for, for Marley. Oh, he does not know how to do any of these things. Um. So, yeah. So, again, you're, you're, you and your dog are facing one direction. Uh-huh. Your dog's in heel position at your left. You cue them. It's Essentially, you cue them to do a heel around, like as if they were in a front and they were going to go around you to go in heel uh-huh. position. You cue them over to your right. You turn to the left. And then you're, you're turning around facing in the same direction 
in the same position that you were in before. Mm-hmm. And it looks so snazzy. Like, yeah, so I bet freaking it does. snazzy. It's awesome. <laughs> um, I just want you it's guys... not a trick. For, I mean, it's kind of a trick, but I just, I just think it it's looks cool. so awesome. Yeah. yeah. Kayla's over here with her hands trying to figure out what you're doing. Who goes where, when? Well, and it's funny. I get it. So I teach a, like a drop-in rally class here, and um, and it's one of the behaviors. And the first time of introducing it to students, they're always like, what? And it's yeah. like, like to watch them is really funny. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> um, but once they get it, it looks so cool. Like, I can't help but, like, just get giddy when they nail it. It looks so smooth yeah. and so professional. I love it. So it's a trick in the uh-huh. sense that it's not, like, a crucial do- a behavior. It's a vanity behavior. It's a vanity behavior, so, yeah. exactly. Yeah, but it's, it's my favorite. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I think my favorite might be a high five. Yeah. I just like Barley really loves giving high fives. I yeah. really like giving high fives. It makes for really cute photos. I was just going to say, had so many good photos. I have a lot of just like beautiful photos of me and Barley high fiving in cool places. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, can I tell you what my favorite trick of yours and Barley's is? Yeah. The leg weaves. The, the, well, that was that. the one I was thinking about putting <laughs> yeah. in. He's got, he's got some really so beautiful leg weaves and they're really fun. Um, I don't find myself using it as often. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. It's a, no, I do I, it at, like as a warm up and cool down for our runs, actually, and nice. like a way to like build enthusiasm and then ask him to do something Loosen else. Loosen him up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, it might be his favorite. Um, it's definitely of our tricks. That's um, awesome. But, yeah, high five might be my favorite. Sweet. Mine is a combination of that. So Sully and I have been working on, well, he already knows peekaboo, which is just he, um, like my legs are wide open and then he walks around to the right and sticks his head in between my legs Uh and looks up at me. So I, I, that, and then we are working on, uh, weaving through the legs. And then I also do something where like, I point my right foot out and then he spins around the leg and then I point my left foot. (laughs) We're trying to do a little freestyle routine right now. Um, which is not, I mean, it's in pieces. And then, and then we will put it put it together. Um, I'm also like pointing my leg and then he uh, puts his paw on my leg. So we're, we're trying to do a, a f- like fun little, you know, my legs cue him to do certain things. And so that's been really fun. Do you have a song picked out? You know, I do. And yeah. it's, I love this song because it makes me so happy is, um, wait, it's walking on sunshine. Oh yeah. Oh, oh that's awesome. I love that song. It's so fun, but I'm like, oh, it's a little fast for us. So we're trying to like fare off the tempo and you know. You can find a cover. Five, six, seven, eight. It's kidding. <laughs> and and go. Uh, so we're trying to piece things together right now. But yeah, like just a combination of all those leg movements are so yeah, fun. And he's so, so big. Fun. So it is kinda it's like a funny um lumbering uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's got a me. lovely prance too yeah he like, does yeah, yeah. You're, right, you're right he does so yeah cool like that that's question. exciting I love canine freestyle oh my god it's so fun it's so dorky I feel like it's so dorky it's so fun I have like my post it's like this can equals this and this is it and I have to back chain the whole thing right so it's yes, like okay yes. we're, we're, we're teaching all, all them individually and then we'll We'll put them together. That's amazing. I can't wait to see that. Shout out to Michelle Puglia. Oh, yes. She's amazing. God. All right. So then the one thing that we don't... Like... Like the the least important thing. Yeah. Or like, yeah, something you feel like other people teach that you don't. I don't know. Take take that question how you will. Okay. Um, Mm. Mine would be nothing in life is free. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I know, and I used to do this, full confession. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, for a while, this was the thing. This was your dog never gets anything they want unless they do something for you first. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and it made sense on the surface. Like, totally. oh, yeah, this is how we get behavior. Like, we control access to all the reinforcers, and then the dog has to earn them back. And now that just feels really... Um, like a dictatorship (laughs) as opposed to a relationship because Mm -hmm. I don't treat my husband that way. I don't treat my son that way. Like, Mm -hmm. yes, sometimes you do have to earn access to reinforcers, but not all day, all the time. Um, And I think that that shortchanges the relationship that we can build with our dogs where we just share enjoyment in things. And it's not about teaching the dog a lesson or teaching the dog a life skill or whatever. Like sometimes it's just about being generous with each other and giving each other the things that we want. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to do that. Like I still tell clients, like don't give your dog reinforcement if they're doing something you don't like. Right. Um, But I don't like the dynamic of I'm withholding everything you want until you earn it back from me. Um, that's, that's too strict for me. And I don't Mm -hmm. think that it, I I also think sometimes it can create like a kind of desperate dog, like a, you know, a dog that feels like, well, you know, I, they're always on and they're always looking for opportunities to earn that reinforcement because they know that's the only way they're going to get it. Um, and I would much rather turn kind of neglectful. It can. Yeah. At its most extreme. It's like a dog in the crate 23 hours a day. And Um, yeah, I know that there are trainers that take it to that extreme, um, where it's like the dog never gets a piece of food unless they work for it first. And that can escalate to the dog has to work harder and harder and harder for every piece of food. And I I don't like that deprivation. Totally. Yeah. I mean, nobody ever wants to be treated like that in any relationship. So why do we think it would be appropriate to do that to yeah. our dogs, to mm-hmm. our And best I will friends. say, I still do a form of nothing in life is free sure. when I'm working, particularly with dogs that bark incessantly at their owners in order sure. to get things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, it can be a it's not even so point. much nothing in life is free. It's more like, okay, you got to stop giving your dog stuff that he wants when he barks right. at you. Yeah, and that's yeah, what yeah. I mean. Like, they yeah. don't get reinforced for, for inappropriate behavior. Yeah. 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 But so. they don't necessarily have to earn every single attention, food, you know, yeah. access mm-hmm. to the outdoors, whatever. Like, I mean, yeah. you don't want to be treated that way. And not that... I, I think thinking of your dog training ethics as a starting point of how you would want to be treated is okay. That doesn't necessarily mean that has to be the end all be all, but I yeah, think there's a lot of essential issues with nothing in life is free. Yeah, um, I think so too. We've talked about it, I think, in the past on this podcast. Um, and I think some people are like, oh, well, then I, I can pet him. Like, you're right, like you're I, think, right. I think people get a little yeah. bit like, oh, I, I was really feeling guilty about giving him love just because just for free. I love him. Yeah, yeah. and so yeah. I think. And I hear a lot of owners um, who will tell me, like, oh, well, you know, like, we make him sit every time before we pet him or whatever, and and they think that that's what they have to do. And I'm like, you can just pet your dog. It's fine. I had some clients calling me to decide whether or not. I make my husband do the dishes before I give him a kiss goodbye. Like, you know? Uh, I'm sorry. The dishes are an ongoing issue. Oh, Lord. <laughs> you should teach Marley to do them. I really should. I think he probably could do it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's happy to lick them clean, but I'm not the sanitary. Perfect. Um, Pre-rinse. Pre-rinse, exactly. Um, I was going to say, I've actually, I had a client once who was, they called me and they were trying to decide whether or not to hire me, and they told me, 
in that first call, you know, our dog sleeps in our bed. We love him. He gets to do all this. And, and if that's going to be a, no, and they were like, and if that's going to be a problem for you as a trainer, because we've talked to like three trainers who have all told us we're not going to be able to continue doing that. We're not going to hire you. Oh, I love. And I was like, day. oh my god, my dog sleeps in my bed. I'm like, my dog sleeps in my bed. Like, yeah, and they, yeah, they, yeah, they're a really lovely dog. Um, I miss them. Um, but I love their. I love their. Um, What's the word like I always steadfastness. use? Their advocacy <laughs> yeah. for their dog and for the relationship yeah. with their dog. Yes. And like, yeah, so we if you're not going to compromise that, then we're not the right fit in terms yeah. of the trainer. I think that's really else, important for owners. That's trainers. impressive. Yeah, I love yeah. that. I think they've been through a couple, a couple bad experiences before me. Um, so I think my kind of silly behavior or like the, the I, I hear people recommending it or I hear people talking about it and I just don't understand and I've never done it. Is teaching a dog to bark in a way to teach them to be quiet? Oh my gosh, <laughs> that is mine. I'm stealing it because I can't think of one. And yes, I don't, I don't like that. <laughs> because it, please write into us if you have done that and it worked for you. <laughs> so that's very Ian Dunbar. Like he talks about that yes. all the time, and I just it doesn't feel. It honestly, never resonated with me. Honestly, I can't even think of a time where I think it's a relatively common recommendation of put the behavior on cue and then never give the cue. Obviously, <laughs> if the behavior is already a problem, something in the environment is reinforcing yes. it. It's not your treats reinforcing it. So I don't quite understand the logic and I don't think I've ever seen it work. What? So I have used it before. I, I no longer do um, because I think there are way better ways to do that. Right. And especially... In my role as someone who's teaching owners to train their dog, I don't feel like it's likely to be on stimulus control that is good enough to make mm-hmm. it successful. Like, I think probably trainers could be successful with it, um, but I think it's a really hard skill, and you have to be really precise and really consistent. Um, my the, the sort of thought about it in my mind was always, and what I sort of always got was... Um, if you're, you're creating that contrast, like you have to have the behavior to be able to, um, like either get an extinction burst or, um, prompt the opposite of the behavior, which is the quiet Mm -hmm. so that you can then, because if the dog is just being quiet and you're like quiet and then you (laughs) reinforce them for still being quiet, like that's too vague. That's too vague. And so I think it was to create that contrast where it's like, okay, you're barking, barking, barking. Now I'm going to prompt you to stop. And then, oh, you're stopping, got you the treat. So I feel like it, I know that there's that approach of like, oh, put it on cue and then never give the cue. But to me, that never really, I agree, that never really made sense. It was more the like, we're getting the behavior so that we can then teach the the contrast and teach the opposite. Yeah. But I still agree. Like, it's not a good way to do it. Like, it's not my preferred method. I I have used it in the past, but never did super great success. I had like a rash of bad like bad kind of demand barking clients um yeah. two yeah, years ago oh my god i was so angry about it for so long she was demand barking about the demand barking. Yeah, it's just like, jesus someone take these clients i've got a headache i was going to like three in a row on my off days and it was just like i needed earplugs um yeah i i mean we, we didn't even try that approach with any of them and i just I feel like those dogs did not need any more reinforcement history for barking. Yeah, I love the point that you made about, like, if it's already happening, there's something that's reinforcing it. Yeah. Yeah. So all you're doing is adding more reinforcement. And maybe, yeah, yeah, I I feel like you're right. With a really skilled trainer, Mm -hmm. you probably can make this work. And maybe that's where Ian Dunbar is coming from. Like, I'm sure he's... I haven't actually watched him train ever, um, nor gotten to see him at a seminar or anything, but I'm sure he's excellent. And um, I feel like that's that, maybe that's kind of a general thing too. Is I feel like there are a lot of training things that come up 
from, you know, professional trainers who have dogs that are bred and selected for being super biddable. Right. And then they're like, oh, well, this approach works for me and my perfect border collies and or shepherds or Malinois or whatever that are really bred to work. Right. And I'm a professional trainer with, you know, amazing skills. Yeah. yeah. And then, lo and behold, it doesn't work for someone's rescue greyhound when they're coming <laughs> in with, like, three weeks of pet dog training class. Very yucky. Yeah. Very <laughs> <laughs> So oh, the palm. I'm thinking of my most demand barking clients are the little guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. 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 I like that. Okay. I'm with you on that. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Okay. I, um, I mean, I was are you really stealing? I was gonna steal Kayla's, but I, I did, I do find it. This isn't like I wouldn't teach it. I think it's like a pretty easy default behavior that dogs offer a lot, and then people can utilize that um, as a skill, if you will. But like, notice how none of us said sit. Default sit. Yeah, I mean, and it's funny. Like today, I was finding myself. You know, not we have we have three dogs in the house currently, and I was asking them to sit at the door, and then my dog is ten. Like, does he really need to sit? You know, like arthritis, yeah. like, and I was sort of like, okay, you just stand, stay there, and then you guys sit. But then I'm like, why? Like, just wait, just wait and stand. Like, none, none of you really need to sit. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of conversation around like whether or not that should even be included in you know dog training classes anymore because it's. You know, it's like so many times you hear people going, sit, sit, sit. It's like, why? Sometimes it's like, why do you need your dog to sit in that moment? You yeah. Know? Um, and so I just wanted to point that out that none of us really said that as like a functional, important behavior. But I will so jump on Kayla's bandwagon in terms of the, the marking. That put it on cue and then, and then don't get the cue. Yeah. So, I, yeah. So, one anyway. thing that I think I might throw in there is like the idea of teaching like a formal heel in like a pet dog class, which I don't yeah. think is all that popular anymore right. in a lot of circles, but there definitely are still a lot of places that teach that as like, oh, yeah. you know, the default like introductory behavior. Yeah, like yeah. basic obedience who just brought home a dog and your dog has to be in like a formal heel. Yeah. I, I mean, I love heels. Yeah. They're so beautiful. I really like. One of these days, Bailey and I are actually going to work on, like, a really beautiful, like, performance heel. Um, but I think it's... For the average pet owner, it's no. way too much. It's so much. And yeah. I think it also kind of leads to, like, an unhealthy version of the loose leash walk that we all said we thought is so important. Yeah. Because it's not letting... it Like, marching around in heel position for 20 minutes not on fun. the sidewalk oh, is yeah. not what no. your dog needs every day. Unless... I mean, yeah, inter integrating some healing practice into your dog's day is probably great for them mentally. It's physically challenging. But for Pete's sake, let your dog go sniff. Well, yeah. and what I find is it trips up most people if they think that that's what they need to do. Because one of two things, well, usually one thing ends up happening is they think that they're training their dog to walk on a leash by keeping the leash really short. Because, yeah. like, my dog's supposed to be right next to me. And so the dog has six inches of leash. And they're like, the dog's pulling like crazy. And it's because there's no way the dog could keep the leash slack yeah. in that situation. Right. Yeah. So it's basically you're starting with criteria that are so impossible for the dog to meet that they're never going to get it right. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's just an exercise in frustration for both parties. Yeah. Whereas yeah. if you're starting with a six foot leash and the dog has all six feet of leash, it's going to be really easy for them to have moments where the leash is slack that you can catch and reinforce totally. and shape a closer um, walk, but you don't start with the hardest version. Yeah. So yeah. I think there's like, you know, kind of that remnant from traditional dog training of like, 
healing is the least leash walking exercise and people get caught up on that. And again, like most dogs are not capable of doing that as the first thing that they learn on leash. I mean, almost kind of going back to what I just said about, you know, maybe the problem of professional dog trainers working with professional training dogs. Um, I don't even, but like, I still wouldn't, I still, I still, I still don't think that's the first thing to teach as a leash walking behavior, even if you are a trainer, you know, like, yeah, but it is a little, if you're a professional trainer and you've got a dog that was bred or selected or both for being really into you and into training, it's it's an easier skill. For sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, As opposed to like, I just adopted this adolescent lab from the shelter. Yeah. (laughs) Adolescent husky. Yeah. So I I didn't have that as my number one because I think healing is beautiful and that it's an amazing thing for people to teach, but I don't, I think sometimes it's overutilized as like a primary. It definitely is. Oh, this needs to be the introductory skill because it totally doesn't. It's such a hard skill. Like I've, been, I've owned my dog for almost three years. I'm a professional trainer, and he can like kind of pivot into his heel position. Yeah, it's um, a lot. It's so hard. <laughs> so. It's a really impressive skill, but yeah. yeah, you're right. I think for most most pet dogs, it's just too much. Yeah, yeah. And it's unnecessary. So. All right. That was fun. Good that show, was fun. Guys. Yeah, that was super fun. Uh, All right. Why don't we have everyone, um, if you guys are listening, uh, write in to us and tell us your top five. Yeah. yeah awesome. Tell us your favorite trick. Tell us your least favorite skill. Um, yeah, we'll, uh, maybe we'll share some of your feedback on some upcoming episodes or yeah. we'll share it around on social medias. I would love to I hear. I think we're recording in June and I'm pretty sure this is going to go live in November. So, <laughs> uh, we'll see you then. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, write us in and tell us what it's you guys It's a beautiful think. sunny day. I just want to throw that in there. So when someone's listening to this in November and it's yeah, cold and gross outside. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the longest day of the year. We're, we're sending you sunny vibes from the past. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode. Before we go, be sure to subscribe to Canine Conversations wherever you find your podcasts. You can find episode notes and bonus materials at canineconvos.com. You can also contact us at hello at canineconvos.com. That's canine, all spelled out. And we'd love to hear from you, especially about your input on this episode. Our theme music is called Funny Song, and it's provided royalty-free from bensound.com. Our audio is mixed and edited by James Eady at beheard.org.uk. Our logo is from Walker Hooper. You can find his work on Instagram at walkers underscore username. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.